Hey everybody, welcome to Disarming Leviathan, a podcast designed to equip you to missionally engage the mission field of American Christian nationalists. Uh, today, I'm joined by Matthew Bodie, Dr. Matthew Bodie, who serves as Professor of Rhetoric and Composition at the University of North Georgia. Uh, Dr. Bodie and I discuss some of his research and work on the rhetoric of Charlie Kirk, the leader of Turning Point USA. In this interview, we talk a lot about uh, Turning Point and the rhetorical methods and the communication styles that they use and the techniques that they use to form the identity of American Christian nationalists. So if you have a loved one who maybe uh, has shared some video clips on YouTube from Turning Point or Charlie Kirk, or perhaps they quote him or go to some of the rallies, uh, I believe that this interview will be helpful to you to better understand what they're experiencing and how how it's actually working on them. And so buckle up, stay tuned. Here is my interview with Dr. Matthew Bodie. So Matt, talk a little bit about who is Turning Point USA? Who's Charlie Kirk? What, what is this thing and, and how's it impacting people across the country? Sure. Uh, Charlie Kirk started Turning Point USA in 2012 as a free market um, freedom um, organization to rally the youth or young people to the conservative movement, not necessarily the Republican Party. And he got several big donors to help him uh, fund that project. And really, it took off in 2015 and 2016 when President Trump started to run for office and Turning Point put out an anti-higher education list called the Professor Watchlist. That was one of their first viral moments. They also have viral uh, videos and moments about big government. They think big government sucks. Uh, but they was started out as a free uh, free market, freedom, libertarian-ish uh, group. Uh, and that's what Charlie Kirk was selling. He was big into us, uh, lowering the national debt when he started. Uh, so 10 years now on, Turning Point has expanded into the primary focus being a Christian nationalism uh, organization. Uh, it is a at least a $55 million organization now that receives both big donor money and small donor money. It is a uh, media empire based in Arizona. It has uh, obviously multiple arms, but uh, the key to those are YouTube uh, series, YouTube videos, they do documentaries, uh, they have uh, a set where they do kind of TV shows, if you will, discussion groups, they have a sports theme, they have a pop culture theme, they have a lot of content that they create to rally, uh, specifically young people, they're in colleges, they're in high schools, they're in churches now with Turning Point USA Faith, so it is an all-encompassing conservative movement uh, that both heavily partners with Trump and that part of the Republican Party, but it also heavily works with the Republican Party to spread more, you know, general messages. Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk have expanded into Turning Point Faith. Um, they also have Turning Point Action, which is their more direct political arm. They direct uh, um, endorse candidates and run uh, people for office and do political campaigning. Charlie Kirk himself, of course, has a radio show on the Salem Broadcast Network. Uh, that runs every day. It started out as a podcast. Uh, he famously took over Rush Limbaugh's time slot in many markets and, and patterns himself after Rush. And he has a series of books that he's done most recently called The College Scam. He's done several uh, public appearances in many different places, including Dream City Church in Arizona. He does a series of campus events every year, goes to different campuses and does these events where he 
talks about many different topics and does Q&A with uh, people who come up to the microphone. And Turning Point USA is famously known for clipping or making clips out of those things and posting them and making fun of the uh, opponent. Look how we burn, look how we schooled, uh, that sort of thing. I, I would say that uh, if you're not familiar with Turning Point, you're probably familiar with Charlie Kirk, who appears on Fox News a lot. Um, he writes uh, for different publications, including Human Events, Post Millennial, things like that. Uh, he has written for the Christian Post. His face is very recognizable, uh, especially on the Internet. And I will add, of course, uh, that he recently uh, married and now has a child. So he has a lot going on, and he is primarily known for being a, um, uh, we'll say, a, a Christian whisper, a whisper, if I could say that, <laughs> an end to the Christian community, evangelical community from President Trump's campaign that he spent some time with Donald Trump Jr. So Turning Point is a massive organization with massive reach, uh, both to the youth and to people older than that. If you haven't heard of it, you've likely heard of Charlie Kirk, and he is the person behind it. And before I move into... Phoenix, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, he was actually partnered with Jerry Falwell Jr. Oh, yeah. Uh, is that correct? Tell us just a yes. little bit about that connection. So one of the ways in which Charlie Kirk moved into education or moved into higher education was partnering with Jerry Falwell Jr., who was then president at Liberty University, and they started a think tank uh, called a, a Fall Kirk Center, named after both of them, but they tried to do some other um, historical um history for that. Anyway, it's called the Fall Kirk Center. It was called that, uh, sadly. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. was left the job at President of Liberty University for various reasons. Uh, and they renamed that the uh, Freedom Center or the Center for Freedom. I forget exactly what it's called. The new director decided to not renew Charlie Kirk's contract with them, even though they said it was an amicable divorce. But that that think tank is sort of a misnomer. It is a, a, a website that's devoted to putting out content about conservative politics, uh, rants about uh, liberal policies. They don't do the same documentaries and things that Charlie Kirk and Turning Point does. But Liberty University was one of the ways in which Charlie Kirk got a, a huge following. He received an honorary degree from Liberty while Falwell Jr. was the president. Uh, and he says often that Liberty University and Hillsdale College are the only two colleges you should send your kids to. So he has taken the posture, uh, especially in this most recent book, that college in America, university in America is a scam. Mm -hmm. It's not only a money-making scam, but it's also distorting reality for, for our uh, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Uh, it is indoctrinating them with an, uh, an evil agenda. However, there's two colleges uh, that are good. And so it does very much come across as anti-higher education, except for the ones that he's connected to. Right. Uh, I mean, clearly the, the illogic here is that uh, Charlie Kirk will scream about indoctrination on public school campuses and then praise a school that follows his follows the indoctrination that he agrees with, which is Hillsdale College. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, the thing you should know about it is the president of Hillsdale was the chair of Trump's 1776 commission, which put out a report late in his uh, term about American history. One of the things that we can see in a lot of the turning point material, especially at the live events, so whether this is a pastor's gathering, which I've been a part of, or a large rally. Uh, sometimes they will refer to these as revivals. There is a lot of God talk. There's a lot of citation of scripture. There's also a mean 
tone, <laughs> a dishonoring or dehumanizing tone. And talk a little bit about the rhetoric that we hear in these turning point spaces. You know, this is not reasoned people sitting down calmly having conversation about the finer points of government. Mm. There's yelling, screaming, name calling, othering. In fact, one of the common things that I've noticed is, you know, instead of referring to Democrats, they will refer to them as the evil Democrats. There's, mm, this, there's adjective, there's this modifier on there, right? The demonic yeah. left or the 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 evil antichrist woke hmm. uh, talk yeah, about talk about that how, how you've seen that but also the effect on the hearer the the tar- their target audience well it is it is a uh identity formation rhetoric uh, they're not there the audience is not there the primary people there to go see that right are not there to be persuaded of something they're already persuaded they're there to get affirmation of that it, in many ways it is like a, a a church environment you know you go to church to be built up in your faith not so to be persuaded of it that said um, these events which are mainly on college campuses Charlie Kirk is prepared for the protester and prepared for the heckler. He is very good at his job. Uh, he is very good at prompting um, and uh, baiting these people into coming up to the mic and saying something that he can then respond to. Uh, one of his great uh, rhetorical tricks is not to allow the person to finish their question or to finish their comment. As soon as they say something that he can reverse or redefine or, or make fun of, he's going to do that from the stage. Um, and then the person will say, well, you didn't let me finish. And then he'll try to finish. And then Charlie Kirk will go through that cycle again. I was watching a video yesterday of some guy at the mic. I forget what the topic they were, but eventually Charlie Kirk listed a bunch of facts or listed a bunch of things he says were facts and, and talking over the speaker. And then Charlie says, well, what do you have to say about all, all that? And, and the guy replies, well, I didn't come fully prepared. And then, you know, you just make fun of him at that point because he realizes what he had walked into. So there's a lot of that. There's a certain a lot of pairing religious rhetoric, as you mentioned, good and evil. That is the clear theme in many of these events. And that it, it isn't just our opponents. It isn't just the left. It is demonic evil left. And that is, of course, pairing the Christian with the nationalism there, the Christian nationalism together. But also th- there is, um, in terms of imagery and, and uh, videos and things like that, there's always a darkness to these images and to these videos they show. Uh, sometimes the, the people's heads are really big, you know, to, like they're looking over us. And, of course, if, if some of these politicians on the left are particularly old, there's very bad photographs of them looking like that. But it, it is strange, and I haven't seen video of the Sunday morning worship services that they have at these turning point events. So these uh, students summit uh, often in Florida, they have some in Arizona. And then on Sunday mornings, usually these things last a full long weekend. And Sunday mornings, they have a worship there. I haven't seen video of that, but I can assume it's very much like a contemporary church atmosphere. Uh, with music, uh, Sean, I pronounce his last name, uh, Fuke uh, always plays at those uh, or other people play at those. And so they, they don't pressure people to come, but a large percent of the people who are coming to these events already are going to go to this worship thing. And I say that to suggest that that event, that Sunday morning worshiping is not out of bounds or abnormal to the weekend, right? Even though you may get this really disturbing 
anti-Christian rhetoric during the other events, this this event is not a confession of what you just yelled at the previous day or yelled the previous day. It is a, a, a continuation of that. So I would say that there's a clear good and evil, a setting up a villain, um, setting up a there there is nothing good in the other side. But also there is a clear, as we all learned, I think, in, in Sunday school or in, in youth and church, you memorize these verses. And so Charlie can and, and others just rattle off these verses. And so there is no thinking about application. It's already applied. Right. There's good and evil. We know the sides and therefore this verse applies in, in, in kind of an implied way. So that works because people grew up with that and they are continuing that type of pedagogy or education. So there's a lot going on at these events. Uh, there's a lot of disturbing things, but but it is it is not under thought out. I guess it is well thought out. He knows what he's doing. And the people who create these events want it to seem like a church event. Yeah, I, uh, as a minister uh, in my field, we refer to the use of scripture in that way as proof texting. You just Mm -hmm. rip a text out of its context and then it becomes a proof text. And functionally, it's when you're trying to make a point, if you can slap a verse on it, it seems to add value or weightiness to the point. So I've had people say things like, um, you know, I've actually heard some of the leaders in the Turning Point Rally say, you know, uh, Jesus told us to love our neighbor as ourselves." which is why we need to secure our Second Amendment God-given right to gun ownership, because we can't protect our neighbor if we are defenseless. Right. And what they're doing is they're, they're taking the weight of Jesus' language and then just slapping it onto a, <laughs> a, 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 an opinion or a perspective or something they're advocating for that's completely out of bounds of the context of the text. But because it sounds like Bible, people will say, oh, that, that's an excellent point, sir. Uh, right. They'll, yes. Uh, they'll take it into themselves. You know. Yeah. I mean, we we turning points not the only group that does this. Let you know. Let's be honest. Right. People post verses all the time, but it, it is the direct link between a political position and and the scripture that I think they're the, the best at. In fact, Turning Point USA was started right ten years ago because Charlie Kirk thought that the left had a better understanding of the youth and, and was getting at them uh, better. And so he started an organization that was not Christian at all, even though he is. And I think he's found more and more that the type of rhetoric that he started out with, big government sucks, uh, these other catchy phrases have been discovered as Bible verses now, right? So it is in, he's finding the catchiness, the social media aspect of it. And look, wait a minute, there, there's, it's in a verse. We can use it this way. Yeah, one thing that I'll hear them say frequently is they'll say, uh, you either worship God or government, mm. which is a, which is not in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, the Bible is very pro-God, yeah. and it's also very suspicious of government. I think the book mm. of Revelation is a huge critique of empire power in Rome. But it never sets up that dichotomy, but they say it so frequently. You know, just like the Bible says, you either worship God or government. And so sure. by by keeping government small, we're worshiping God. And so I've had several conversations with people, people who work there or on campus, and obviously I've heard Charlie speak uh, a lot, and, and they all do the same thing. They, they all have answers to questions you're going to ask. They're well prepared. Uh, it's much like uh, evangelists going out and, and, and doing apologetics, and they know what, what's going to be said. And this is why Charlie is very good at these Q&As. He knows what they're going to say, and he already has a response uh, ready. And I would say it is not merely uh, the Bible says that. They also add in several different um, 
Well, I mean, the God and government is, is a good one. They have these phrases ready and they're trained and do that. And, and I think that this is what sets Turning Point USA apart from any other political organization, conservative or left. They do this training and I haven't been to one particularly, but you have, but they do this training well and, and they know how to you know, put it in a way that everybody understands it and give people discipleship, if you will, to go out and convert other people. I mean, they do it better than churches in, in, in many regards. Yeah, I agree. Now, one of the things you mentioned is that Turning Point started out as a, a civic institution that generally steered clear of religion in general, mm-hmm. uh, very libertarian uh, mm-hmm. bent. However, in recent years, they've gone full, full throttle into yes. the religious space, uh, as we've been talking about, leveraging religious lingo and rhetoric to you know justify positions and advocate for policies. How did that change happen and what's been the effect of it? I think the, the change primarily happened because of the influence of Rob McCoy, uh, the megachurch pastor from California, uh, who also uh, was a city councilman and ran for state office and lost in California. And he met Charlie Kirk, I believe, at a CPAC event in late 2019 and uh, was in... <sighs> interested in converting Charlie Kirk to a Christian nationalist position because Charlie had said before this that his religious views and his political views did not mix. And the fact that he didn't talk about the Christian view of government and Rob McCoy convinced him, wait a minute, look at all these Bible verses about government. So if you if you listen in, you can easily find it is Rob McCoy's speech to CPAC in 2019, where he stands up and says, you might hear some things from me that you wouldn't normally hear from a pastor. And he talks about uh, government and bad government in California and how he would like to see good government and a good government comes from good people, which, uh, again, it, it is a pretty simple message. And he, he convinces Charlie of this at the same time, of course, over the few months that they had this conversation, if you will, COVID started and everything shut down. And the only opportunities for Charlie Kirk to be in a public setting at that point were churches. Um, so I think he both saw a, a, a theological change, if you will, uh, but he also saw a business opportunity here at, or the only business opportunity. And so Rob McCoy was able to uh, insert Charlie into a network that he did not have before. Um, and that network is large um, and is influential and it uh, spans a lot of different states where Charlie could go in. And I think it also primarily gave him uh, not just access to these people, but gave him a way in which to redefine himself as a Christian. Even anybody knows that they know about him and he had that on his Twitter account for a long time. But this became now his moment to become a preacher or to become a evangelist. And I think that he saw that both as a personal thing and as a business thing. And I think it is all to do with Rob McCoy. However they met or when they met, I think they met through Liberty University, but that is the, the, the sole influence in the change. And we've seen in a lot of Turning Points material and uh, a lot of their events that there's also a man by the name of David Barton. And he uh, is, says that he's a self-taught historian. <laughs> And so all, yes. <laughs> McCoy, uh, as a pastor minister, has added a lot of, um, I, I think, guidance around religious language. And so within Turning Point, you've got people like McCoy and pastors in his network that are connected to him that will be platformed. Uh, but also Barton is also in that space as a historian. He, his argument seems to be 
that America was founded as a Christian nation and he, he will proclaim all these, um, you know, he'll parade around all these documents, ancient doc- or old documents that he's got, sermons that were recorded in the 17th and 18th century. And together, what you've got between McCoy and Barton is McCoy presents kind of the biblical view of Christian nationalism, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And Barton takes that a step further and says, it's always been this way in America, Christian nation, mm-hmm. uh, historically. Talk a little bit about the historical lingo and rhetoric uh, around Christian nation that you're hearing from people like Barton at, at, and how you're seeing that in Turning Point. Yeah, so so David Barton is the misinformation specialist in, in, in Christian history of America. Uh, his basic claim, which is, which is a myth, is that uh, America is a Christian nation and started out as a Christian nation. Uh, you will hear uh, his language used by Charlie Kirk, that the signers of the Declaration of Independence were all Bible-believing Christians, uh, not close at all. You will hear talk about the Black Robe Regiment, which is this mythical group of pastors that uh, either led parts of this uh, Revolutionary War segment or, or pastored people in that or had a grand influence in how America was founded. Not true at all. But the main idea, of course, is that God started America as a city on a hill, much like Reagan spoke about, but also that now the the documents themselves, the Declaration of Independence specifically, and the Constitution were equal to Scripture. God breathed in that manner, and that their words and their original content, if you want to say that, were all part of God's plan. This is the David Barton uh, story that many historians, both Christian and non-Christian, have, have debunked for years. And Rob McCoy takes that and, and yes, it adds the, the church lingo to it. So the, the, the church becomes the center of American civic life. And this also goes with Hillsdale College uh, and, and preaching civic life. But it's mainly the church at the center of that. And the church is the center of producing morality for the government. Uh, Charlie Kirk has been known to say that the church and Christians are the handmaiden or the uh, advisor to the king, meaning the king here in the government. Um, but also at the same time, uh, Barton and uh, McCoy will say that the American populace, the American people are the thing that drives the good government. And therefore we should have Christian nation now. So you can see the connection, the historical connection that we were then and that we are now, even if it looks like we're not, <laughs> right? If we have all these problems, if we return to a time when we had better people running government, we had Bible-believing Christians, then we would be a better nation. Uh, that is also a well-trodden evangelical Christian uh, trope as well, right? If we just return to a time when the church was pure or we didn't have these divisions or return to a time when you, you personally were a better Christian and remember those times, that also is the same message. So there's a historical argument. There's a I wouldn't say a, a theological in the sense of scripture argument, but there's a there's a um, ecclesiastical, uh, if that's the word right, uh, argument for all this. And Charlie takes all that and, and, and boils it down to something that people who have none of that study, right, understand. David Barton has all these documents. Rob McCoy has uh, all the scripture. Charlie Kirk just has the, the, the one-liners. Again, the God and government one is very famous. So they all work together in in different ways. But if you hear all those three kind of types of rhetoric together, they're, they're convincing because they all do different things in terms of the rhetorical appeals. 
yeah, it, it can be very persuasive. I mean, I've, I've sat in rooms and watched people, you know, have very profound experiences as they're met with this onslaught of information. They, they'll, they'll shift in their seats. They'll raise their hands and say, amen and hallelujah at some citation from an 18th century document. Right. You know? mm-hmm. uh, there is a power in the presentation and it fe- and all, the other thing too is man these guys talk fast oh that's uh, the other thing yeah I, I, I don't know if you remember the micro machines commercials in the 1980s wow. yeah. <laughs> there's just this you can't even catch your breath and so the idea that uh, the speaker whether it's barton or mccoy that they would say something that i would then receive into my mind and critically examine for a moment you don't have any chance to do that because they're just pounding you with information, much of it's misinformation, and it's overwhelming. Yeah, and and that is uh, oddly one of the signs that they're that, that they're authoritative or right. They should be believed. They can rattle all this off. That is both perhaps a sign of deep reading, education, if you will, but also the Holy Spirit. Like these guys are being given this message who comes up with that off their head right either they're really smart or they're really spiritual or they could be both at the same time and they're also masterful at making very complex things simple yes uh, i i feel good when i feel like i understand something that's hard to understand Mm-hmm. And they, the people that many of our listeners are, are striving to reach and minister to, you know, our mission field, the audience of Turning Point, mm-hmm. they feel good because now they walk out with a firm understanding of American history. There's good and bad. We were once good. Now it's bad. Simple. Mm-hmm. Actual American history is so complex, convoluted, frustrating, contradictory. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that we can be dis- we can feel despairing about our nation, about our foundation, because it is so complex, and that makes me feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And so, Charlie, uh, yeah, go. yeah, to take that and to knock it down, or to into co- cohesive argument, it's like the synoptic gospel problems. You, you you have this large debate, but then you have the chart in the back of your Bible that lists how they're all similar. Right. And that is the thing everybody goes to, because that's the thing that helps them grasp all these great narratives, if you will. And so, yeah, making something understandable is what Charlie Kirk does. But ratting off things that he has read or says he read is another thing. But primarily it is the uh, still it is still I would say the youth flavor like look at that young man he's very smart he knows all yes. these things and and the people in the congregation are obviously in their 40s or 50s or even older and they're like impressed right and so they understand that he has some authority to talk with them about it and i and i think that um he is very good uh, as he is a kid of social media so he's very good at digesting things like that bumper sticker mentality that sort of deal but also i i think there is he's been given uh, leeway to do all this by the people who bring him on the stage and they want him to do that mainly I think because as he says he says things that they can't but the, but the one rhetorical thing that I think he does well and does very often is that both with his political narratives and his religious narratives he is saying he is telling them something that's that they're not hearing anywhere else and both, you know, the media aren't covering the story or, or their, their social media is blocking our stories. But even more in the religious setting, he is saying something that perhaps 
their pastor is too afraid to say. And then he says, again, again, the pastor is too afraid to talk about it, but he's going to talk about it. So he's going to get the brave points there. But in more theologically in the, in the church history things, uh, David Barton, very good. Look at this sermon I found from 1700 and no one has ever told you about this. And I think that works well because in our current political moment, that same thing is happening you know, if you will, on the left with stories of black history and stories of, of th- white people didn't know about. So they're countering that in, in the same manner. And that's exactly what Turning Point is good at. They're very good at countering what may be already out there and turning it into or spinning it, if you will, into their own way. So, again, taking uh, anything that's Obama or Biden and turning it into a Trump thing, that's pretty easy to do. But uh, taking something that perhaps you've heard about the Bible, you've heard about history, or you, it's so complex we can't decide, oh, wait a minute, we can make it good versus evil. And, and I think they're very good at that. So many of us and many of our uh, who are listening, we're, we're just trying to figure out how do I talk to my loved one who mm-hmm. seems to spend 10 hours a day watching these Turning Point videos. Yeah. As you've examined Turning Point, their rhetoric, their methods, their techniques, what coaching would you give to someone who is just kind of learning about Turning Point, but we can see the effect in our loved ones and we want to minister to them, we want to reach them, we want to maybe even uh, have a conversation about some of these things that they're saying at the dinner table. Give us some coaching. Well, I do have several people in my extended family that are, that are into that type of rhetoric, not necessarily a Turning Point. Um, and, and, and one, uh, one particular family member always engages me on social media and Facebook and, and that's just not going to work. Uh, you're not going to convince anybody on that. So reposting something or commenting on something, that's just not the way to do it. If you want to talk to them in person, that, that's obviously the best route, but at the same time, and it's kind of on a spectrum, you know, how deep are they into it? Because honestly, you're not going to pull out people who are into it too deep. Uh, it would take a spiritual miracle, if you will, to do that. Uh, for example, I, I went up to a table that was being tabled by Turning Point USA, and there were two people at the table. One was a Turning Point employee field representative who was the boss of all the college people. And then there was the new Turning Point USA chapter member who was a student at my school. The employee had answers for all my questions, uh, was very f- direct in doing so, and, and it had the things that she wanted to get across. The student was new to this and didn't talk much. And I bet if I had him alone, I, away from his boss, if you will, I could probably talk with him. So it does matter both the context, the rhetorical situation in which you address these Thanksgiving dinner table, not the best place for this, right? Uh, there are several examples, I, I think, especially in, in Christian theology of people writing letters to each other and trying to engage in on that in that private moment. Uh, there's a famous book I forget uh, name of, but he uh, he started a letter writing uh, relationship with his father because his father was an atheist and through that campaign convinced him to be a Christian. So uh, there there's those type of situations. There are three main rhetorical appeals that I talk about in my class: ethos, pathos, and logos. You may not need to know those words, but they mean credibility, they mean emotion, and they mean logic. So. The logic and the use of facts and statistics, if they already have a list of them that they're going to give you, I I think that that might be a lost cause there because they're already narrativized into that. But if they're early into it, if they're a student or they have just gone to one event 
especially if they're returning from a uh, Turning Point USA event, they're going to be high on the pathos. They're going to be high on the emotional uh, mountaintop that they just came from. So I might wait a few days and I might then ask them, you know, to describe what it is they saw and point out to me, we have to be able to point out the hypocrisy of it. And, but we have to get them to point it out. We can't be the one to, to point it out. Um, and that, that requires a lot of, a lot of um, listening skills and, and posing the question, do you think that is the best, right? Or, or, or is that Christian, right? If they can take that moment, and that's really, to me, my definition of thinking. Thinking is not laying off these facts or even having these moments. It is stopping to consider those things. Right. So you're not thinking when you're not considering these things. So try to get them to address their own emotions in those events. What did they think? What would other people think of them in those events? People that were not there. We might bring up other categories of people that you mentioned that have been othered. It, it depends upon, again, how well versed they are, or how much they care about those groups. Right. We can think about immigrants far away, but not necessarily down the street. Um, but I do think the ethos, the, the credibility is really the key. You have to be the person who they would want to listen to. If you don't have that, then they're really the other two don't matter. I work with an organization called Young Life, uh, and their motto is earn the right to be heard. And if you don't have that, it's not going to work. Uh, so my other family member who is not fully down the road into all this, but often sends me Fox News articles and, and that's all they do on their phone is my father. And so I'm not going to try to engage in any of this with him. I'll just thank him for the article and move on. He has not shared with me Turning Point USA stuff or any anti-higher ed stuff, but at the same time, he could. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is I, even though I would, I'm his son, I would still not be the person to earn the right to be heard on that subject matter. So if it is your Aunt Betty or if it's someone in an extended family, like the person I mentioned to about the Facebook engagement, that's my aunt who lives in Florida, right? She's not going to listen to me. I don't know if I have the credibility with any of those people to talk about that. And that's really the difficult part is it takes the logos and the pathos, but it, it, it's primarily to me always based upon are they willing to listen to you to begin with? And then that may be difficult. They may have to go through a dark night of the soul with Turning Point USA before they're willing to question it. I have often looked for people who have gone to those things and decided it wasn't for them or, or not been persuaded about it. But I haven't found a whole lot of people like that. But I will say that if your child or your teenager or your college son or nephew or niece says they want to go to a Turning Point event, whether it's a campus event or one of these weekend events, I, I would at that moment, take a, a moment to have a conversation with them about what they're expecting to get out of it and what they're expecting to not just get out of it, but what are they expecting to see and hear there? Is it worth all the money to spend there? But also, if if they have a firm uh, understanding of Christianity, you know, would they find Jesus there? I mean, I know that's kind of a cliche question, but we don't hear a lot of talk about Jesus at these events. We do hear a lot of talk about God, but it, it is strange that we don't. And so that may be that, that moment where you say, you know, what are you expecting to get out of this and what are you expected to hear? Um, you know, that's about as solid advice as I can give in terms of engaging people who are down the hall on these things. Um, you know, there's anti-vax people, conspiracy people. There's other conspiracies out there. Turning Point surely 
spreads those or, or question or, you know, I'm just asking a question about those. But if your loved one is already well onto that road, it would be difficult to pull them out, especially if we're in a political year, in, a, in an election year where they're going to be even saying that more. If it's not, uh, the final thing I will say, though, in terms of ethos, pathos and logos is they do work together and they all have effects on each other. So if you don't feel like you succeed the first time, try a different approach the second time. I don't know how many strikes we get, and they may tell you, I don't want to hear it anymore. But at the same time, as I've kind of emptied hope of everyone of of rescuing people, it isn't up to you to rescue them. Uh, It can't be. You didn't put them down that hole. You didn't put them in a situation to learn all these things. So don't feel it's your burden to, to save them. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that the majority of the work is in me <laughs> to be the type of person that they would call, to be the type of person that they would confide in, to be the type of person that they would feel safe with when they start, if they start deconstructing their Christian nationalism. Yeah. They, I do try to, um, in my <clears throat> academic life, uh, even though I'm not very good at it, uh, just be present. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talk to students about their work, about their major, you know, obviously in class, but at the same time, it's just trying to listen to them. I, I will say directly, I don't have a high EQ, but at the same time, I've learned to do this. Um, so it is just being the presence. And that, that does mean you have to be present a lot, right? Um, it cannot just be a one-off. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Really appreciate you and your work. Where can our listeners find you and find your work? I'm on Twitter. Um, you know, I do tweet about Tyler Kirk a lot uh, at Matthew Bodie, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-B-O-E-D-Y. Uh, on my Twitter bio, there's a link to my Charlie Kirk website. So you can go there at all the things that I've written about him. And, and then the article that I wrote about the 10-year uh, history of Turning Point. I have some academic works on Turning Point. One, I did a, a chapter uh, about their gun rhetoric. Um, I can point you to that if, if you want uh, Want to email me about that. So yeah, those are the main places. And I'm a professor at the University of North Georgia in Gainesville, Georgia. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the pod, man. I appreciate it.